I'm Vanessa Cirillo, and today I've got something brand new for you. The first in an eight-episode series from New England Public Media. Welcome to Valley Voices Radio. If that sounds familiar, you might have heard our Story Slam series by the same name. True stories told in five minutes in front of live audiences in local venues. We've been producing these events with the Academy of Music Theater for a few years now, and for the next half hour, we're taking some of the best storytellers from our stage to your speakers. Our theme today is sweet and salty. That was the prompt for a raucous night of live storytelling, but that means that some of the language in these stories is more salty than you usually hear on the radio. So if you have little ones in the room, you might want to find something different to listen to until we wrap it up at 12.30. Speaking of little ones, our first story takes us back to middle school. And I think most of us can agree, kids that age can have that M&Ms in your popcorn vibe. A little sweet, a little salty. Something Christine Stevens knows a thing or two about. As a middle school teacher, I have discovered that there are certain everyday words that you just can't say to a classroom full of 11 to 13 year olds, starting with the word balls. (laughs) This might seem obvious to some of you, I had to learn. Several years ago, I separated from my husband and I found myself in need of a job that would provide me with health insurance and a steadier income than my adjunct slash freelance teaching profession was providing me with. And so when a job at the middle school teaching theater full time kind of fell into my lap, I felt like I had to take it. I had worked with this age group before, so I felt prepared. But teaching in a middle school is hard, which is one of those words you can't use in a middle school classroom, (laughs) by the way. More on that later. And going from teaching grad students to middle schoolers was also a big challenge to my ego. And I was alone, and my life was not turning out the way I thought it was going to turn out. I was feeling anxious and at times almost resistant to all these changes, even though they were of my own making. And so teaching also was a way of distracting me. And I found that I really had to choose my words very carefully in the classroom. Children today, thanks to the internet, have more exposure to adult content than at any other time in human history. Now, I have no actual data to back that claim up, but I have the courage of my convictions and the experience of trying to teach children whose minds are fixated on Minecraft and TikTok and Fortnite and Call of Duty and God knows what else. It's the God knows what else that worries me, and which has also given them an advanced understanding of the double entendre and innuendo. Which means middle schoolers are a fascinating combination of innocence and jaded cynicism. One moment they're showing me their sweet little stuffed animal that they just brought from home, and the next they're snickering when, in a lesson about imaginary objects, where I'm coaching them to really chew and swallow their imaginary food. Yes, swallow is a word you cannot say in a middle school classroom. Along with dick, the name of course, lick moist tongue, and the usual suspects, hard nuts and balls. So I had to find alternatives. So now instead of saying balls, I say round objects. Instead of saying chew and swallow, I encourage them to consume via mastication and peristalsis. 
And when I'm talking about the mechanisms for speech, the lips, the teeth, the tongue, yep, no tongue, I thought about replacing that one with the large, fleshy, muscular organ in the mouths of mammals used for mastication and peristalsis. But I gave up on that one. But middle schoolers are also capable of great sweetness and insight. One time in a sixth grade classroom, we were talking about our dreams inspired by a play we had just read. One student, Ryan, who was a lively 11-year-old with a goofy sense of humor and a short attention span, had just told us about his falling through the air dream, which reminded me of a dream that I had when my husband and I separated that was really sticking with me. So I decided to tell the students the dream. In the dream, I'm watching as a Nazi and an American soldier suspended by parachutes are falling through the air and fighting, fighting, fighting wildly. And suddenly they swing over, they slam into a giant boulder and they disappear. And then suddenly I realize I'm falling through the air. And I think to myself, wow, I am going to hit the ground hard. I mean with firmness and rigidity. <laughs> If I stay tight and tense, I'm just going to shatter into a million pieces. I have to let myself fall. And so I spread my arms, my face to the sky, and I let myself fall. And I slowed down, and I relaxed, and I landed gently on the ground. And I was okay. The room was quiet for a moment, and then Ryan looked at me and he said, Huh, so you were your own parachute. I held it together as best I could to continue teaching the class. So although teaching in a middle school is hard and sometimes I feel like I'm going nuts trying to keep all my balls in the air and have to swallow my pride, sorry. So although teaching in a middle school is difficult and sometimes I find myself feeling a bit crazy trying to keep all my round objects in the air and remembering to consume my pride via peristalsis, I find if I can remember to let myself fall, I am my own parachute. Thank you. That was Christine Stevens, and when she's not teaching middle school, she writes and performs using any words she wants. Christine's story was recorded live at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield, Massachusetts. You can find out more about our live shows, watch videos of our storytellers killing it on stage, and find out how you can get up there yourself at nepm.org slash valleyvoices. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Valley Voices Radio from New England Public Media. I'm your host, Vanessa Cirillo. Next up, Sarah Rivers tells us how she met Mike, the sweet to her salt. When you walk into a really public bathroom, like say at the airport, do you ever wonder which stall is the safest to use? Like, which one has had the least amount of asses on it? <laughs> this is where your mind goes, Mike said. We were on our way home from Boston after a very romantic getaway. Broadway show, fine dining, the whole nine. The timing was not my best. Silence filled the car, and I wondered if I'd finally said the thing that pushed Mike over the edge. See, all my life, men have told me I'm too much. Like, when I questioned the Bible's teachings, my dad punished me. And when I walked into college graduation, woo! My boyfriend snapped, Sarah, no. 
Every man thereafter has shushed and shamed and silenced me until I was a shell of myself. It took years of therapy to realize I'd rather be too much and single than hide the real me. So when my friend told me she found the perfect guy for me, I took the real Sarah out for a spin. After our first date, I told her, it's not gonna work out. She said, wait, you talk nonstop, Mike made you laugh, and he's tall, dark, and handsome. What's the problem? After our second date, I asked my sister, is it normal that Mike compliments me all the time? He said he admires my work ethic. Yeah, that's normal, my sister said. It's our messed up childhood that is not. I wanted to believe her, but when I burst into hysterical laughter in the silence of the tea house on our third date, I braced myself for reprimand. Mike said, I love your laugh. I realized I'd misjudged him to be this stuffy upper-class physics nerd who'd never date a loud, outrageous woman who listens to Lady Gaga and tells that's what he said jokes. In my defense, Mike listens to the Allman Brothers, tells dad jokes, and his favorite hobby is gardening. My favorite hobby is being naked. But Mike wasn't an old fart that I'd imagined, so maybe he did like the real me. I made a deal with myself. If things stayed interesting and Mike stayed interested in me, I'd keep seeing him. And soon I stopped fretting over the zany things I said. And even when I made Mike blush, he swore he loved how my mind worked. Then my grandfather died. I shared with Mike how only four of us attended his grave site. There was no funeral. I'm not surprised, I said. My family isn't close. Why do you think that is, Mike asked. I burst into tears. All the abuse I'd endured throughout my life flooded me now that I was in a healthy relationship. See, I couldn't cry when my brother died because he turned his back on God. And when I was married, my ex-husband left the room every time I cried because he couldn't handle unpleasant emotions. So I don't cry in front of anyone, especially men. I got so angry for having this emotional breakdown in front of Mike, but I couldn't stop. I sobbed and sobbed. Mike carried me to the couch where he held me for an hour. He held me until I stopped crying. After that night, I started saying things before my brain could censor them, like I confessed my traumatic past, and I started calling his house our house, and the first time he said, God, I love you, Sarah, I joked, I am pretty funny, but nothing I said made Mike, uh, pushed Mike away. This brings us back into the car after our very romantic getaway and my obnoxious bathroom question. The silence was killing me. I can't be the only one who wonders this. Mike just chuckled. Before we do the math, what do you mean by safest stall? Is it really the number of asses or perhaps the cleanliness of said asses? I looked across the car in pure awe. This is the man I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. 
he truly gets me. Maybe I just had to go through all those relationships to find the safest one to park my ass. Sarah Rivers is a YA novelist. In her spare time, you can find her running through New England and training for her next ultra marathon. For those of you who are less of the marathon running type, more of the snacking type, head over to our Facebook group, Valley Storytelling Community, and tell us what your favorite sweet and salty snack is, and look for a few suggestions from the Valley Voices team. I'm Vanessa Cirillo, and you're listening to Valley Voices Radio, produced right here by New England Public Media, and featuring some of the best storytellers from our live Story Slam series. For our last story, we're going to end where we started, in middle school. Because it's probably the most awkward time in any person's life. I mean, I don't think most of us would look back at middle school and smile. But at least we can laugh now. Like our first storyteller, David Bully has also gone back to middle school. After um, the first fresh snowfall at my new job at a school which shall remain nameless, I, uh, I went to work and I noticed that the kids had like a crop circle, used their little feet to stomp an image into the snow in the back field. I thought, oh, sweet. And then I went to the second floor and I looked down on the image and, and it was a 50-foot penis. <laughs> Salty. <laughs> so half the faculty was aghast. And the other half thought it was a pretty funny joke. And the, and the principal came to me. It was my job to do all discipline. The principal came to me, and she said, well, the first thing you have to do is collect evidence. <laughs> the, evidence? It's a 50-foot penis. So I went to the roof and took out my cell phone and took a picture. And then, do you guys know how people have to use perspective to make it look like they're holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa? <laughs> what followed was about 40 photos of the most lewd and obscene uses of perspective I could imagine. <laughs> We're using my cell phone like this. I, I was bent over for some and embracing some. And I sent Snapchats to my friends. I spent about a half hour on the roof just cracking myself up with this enormous 50-foot penis in the snow. Then I went back downstairs. It was easy to discover who did it. I just asked the first kid who walked by. I'm like, yo, who did that? And they told me the names right away. <laughs> the principal came up to me and she said, can I see the photos? <laughs> One thumb switch and I was done. <laughs> so I lied to her. I said, I said, geez, my phone just died. I'll recharge it and mail the pictures to you. <laughs> then I had the three young men come to my office. And I, so we often do an enormous disservice to our children. And I did this to my children who are now adults in that I always told them how good they were. Now, what this means is, for real, the kids have an image in their mind that their parents need to think that they're good, and they'll maintain that story at all costs. 
even when it's not true, even when they do something like we all do, right? So these kids sat down and they lied to me. And I started to get a little offended about the lies, and then I realized I had just lied to the principal to stay out of trouble. <laughs> so their lies were kind of reasonable. <laughs> so I explained, hey, we all lie to avoid pain. Animals do it, birds do it, camouflage is kind of a lie when you think about it. No big deal. And then I lied to them, and I said, but one of you guys already confessed, so it's no big deal. I know you did it. And they said, we have a right to do it. <laughs> it's art. <laughs> and it was kind of art. I mean, there was a little slope, which I thought was really kind of realistic and cool. And the, the balls were not exactly symmetrical. So they put some thought into it, you know? So I couldn't really argue with that as, geez, you know, it's kind of art. <laughs> now, I practice restorative justice. It's my philosophy, I have a, and a, what that means is instead of looking at crime and punishment, we have to think about harm and how to repair the harm. So that way we don't judge people. We just help them fix what's wrong. So I finally got through to these young people by, um, I asked them, to help me because I was gonna have to explain to the first graders what that was. <laughs> and I asked for their help and when I asked for their help, their jaws dropped a little bit and they were like, oh my God, Mr. Bully, I'm really sorry. I said, great, hey guys, let's go fix this. And we went out back and we started kicking around snow. And I could tell they were still a little dejected, like they were working hard to erase the image and we were all getting along, so, but they weren't, you know, they were still feeling bad. And after they had enough bad feelings, uh, when one passed close by me as we were kicking snow, I threw a snowball at his head. <laughs> and he looked at me and he thought for a second and then he threw a snowball at my head and then we had an enormous snowball fight. And I walked into the school dripping wet with snow still hanging off me with my three new friends laughing. And the principal said, how'd it go? <laughs> it's great. David Bully was born and raised in the wilds of northern Maine and admits he still feels a little like a barbarian from the north when dealing with the genteel people of western Massachusetts. But I gotta say, to handle middle schoolers with such patience and empathy, that's hard. Juggling all those balls, it's gotta be tough to swallow. Couldn't help myself. That's our show for today. We'll be back next week with more stories told right here by your friends and neighbors. Can't wait that long? Subscribe to the Valley Voices podcast and check out our summer short series. Each mini episode gives you a single story and a little extra from the storyteller, too. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or at nepm.org slash valleyvoices. That's where you can also learn about auditioning for our next Story Slam season. Valley Voices Story Slam is produced by New England Public Media and the Academy of Music Theater. This show is produced by Katie Wright. Our theme is Love Disease by local guitarist Buddy McEarns and his band. I'm Vanessa Cirillo. Join me next Saturday for more great stories on Valley Voices Radio. 
Love disease.